got a Bible, we're turning to John, the third, third epistle of John. It has only got one, one chapter, if you want to put it that way. It's only the 14 verses, but we're not going to read all 14. We're just going to read together the first eight verses of this particular portion of Scripture. And then we're just going to read word of prayer. We're going to commend our, the, the preaching of God's word to God in prayer. But let's read together. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be healthy, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in me, even as I, uh, even as I walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my beloved, that my children walk in the truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers which are borne witness of thy charity before the church whom if thou bring forward on a journey on their, their journey after a godly sort thou shalt do well because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles we therefore ought to receive such that we may be fellow helpers of the truth. And we'll end with verse 8 and we throw the God will bless his word. Let's pray together as we just take a few moments before we spend around this word. Father, this morning we ask and we pray that you would just draw near to us. We do thank you, Lord, for reminding us this morning that indeed that the Lord does come to us. But we thank you that you exhort us even for salvation that we are to seek you. We thank you that your word reminds us that, Lord, you tell us to come unto me all yet labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Father, you could pray even for those that are connected with the, the meeting house here and the church, this place of worship, that are not yet come to you, that indeed that they would seek you and call upon your name. This morning we pray even for these moments we have around your word that you'll be pleased to bless the preaching of your word to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want a little title this morning for the message here uh, at the Grange, I'm going to say to you that I would call very simply the pathway of spiritual health. Whenever John writes this little epistle here in John in third John three, or the third epistle of John, should I say, the one thing that you find very simple is that he says these words that as he notices that people's soul prosper, he notices that they may prosper in other ways also. But the question I simply want to put to us this morning as we gather in the house of the Lord, how well has our soul prospered? How well have we done or how well are we doing spiritually? If we've been honest with ourselves, we might say, well, Lord, I have feeling you desperately. If we want to, dare I say, put on a front, if we want to speak publicly, we might like to portray ourselves in such a way that people think that we're doing extremely well, but really secretly in our heart of hearts, we're not doing that well at all. A healthy life is not always associated with a long life, yet for those of us who have been blessed with good health, often, and we put it down to various things, why that we have had good health physically. Some might say it has to do with the food which we've eaten, others might say it's because of the environment which we have been brought up in. But yet we know that a man can be physically healthy and be blessed with life, and yet in the spiritual sense, that man might be completely dead to the things of God. 
And yet I also know we can be in extremely great spiritual health. And yet from a physical level, we may not have great physical health. But this morning the challenge to us is how well, where are we at on this pathway of spiritual health? Now we know whenever the scripture talks us on this whole matter, we know that the Bible tells us that in this world there are only nearly two groups of people. I know in our wee province we have very much debates, very much down the centre. And that debate is is very much talked by, by a simple statement whereby... When we, dare I say, when we meet people, we may ask the question, what foot do you dig with? We know exactly what we're implying, we know exactly what we're meaning, because you either dig with your right or your left, and one either is a Protestant or else you're a Catholic. If you go to another culture, it will be, are you a Hindu or are you a Muslim? If you go to another culture, what colour of the skin, that very much divides whether you're black or white. But yet in the Asian God, there are only two groups of people. And yet those two groups of people are developed under four classes, I'm going to say. The first group of people is those that are lost. Those that the Bible says in the book of Ephesians that are already dead in their trespasses and their sins. Those who have not yet come to saving faith in Christ Jesus. That is one group of people. End of story. If in that one group of people you have those that are, those that are great workers of inequity, those also not only those who do great works of inequity, but they're also those who walk on the clean side, you want to say, of the broad road, but have not yet come to saving faith in Christ Jesus. Now you may say to yourself, well, I, I'm not a terribly bad, wicked person. The Bible says the heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it, said Jeremiah the prophet. And that, whenever Jeremiah was speaking, he wasn't talking about people that were murderers or adulterers or fornicators or whatever else it might be. He was simply talking about the natural heart of man that it is desperately wicked. Then he talked about the second group of people, those that were in Christ. And those that are in Christ, he, the Bible very much simply makes it clear that there are three groups of people within those that are in, within Christ. There are two groups that are classed as beings, and there's one group that is classed as spiritual. Whenever Paul writes to the believers in 1 Peter, he says that 1 Peter is newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Here's a group of people and they have simply, they have come to the saving faith in Christ Jesus. Now they're not necessarily young, they're not necessarily children, though Paul calls them babes. You'll get that imagination out of your mind. They're not just simply called babes because of their they are they're young in age stature, should I say, in age. But they might be 90 years of age and they're still classed as a babe because they've simply come to saving faith in Christ Jesus. They have not yet matured in their faith. But there's this hunger in their hearts to know God. There's this desire in their hearts that they might know Him intimately. There's this yearning in their heart that they might spend time in God's presence whereby God is given this yearning, this desire to seek out after Him. Then Paul in the Scriptures also talks about another group of people whom he calls his babes. He doesn't call them those that they're not. They're not. They're babes not because simply that they that they they've only come to saving faith in Christ Jesus. They're babes because they've been on the journey for a while, but they haven't really grown spiritually. They haven't really matured. And they very much show their head whenever, dare I say, when they, when they don't get their way. When they, someone stands on their toes. When someone, dare I say, kicks against them. 
And the Bible says in verse in 2 Corinthians in chapter 3, Paul says these words, And I would, says Paul, could not speak as you as unto you as, as spiritual, but as unto you channel, even as babes in Christ. Now if you want to know what a mark of carnality is, if you want to read on down through that portion in, in Corinthians, this is what the Apostle Paul says in 2, in 2 Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3, he says very simply these words, and they're very distinct and very clear and very solid words that Paul makes. He says, he says very simply, uh, sorry, I'm on, I'm on Corinthians 3, but the wrong portion altogether and the wrong, but uh, he said these words, he said that there, there, there's this striving within their hearts, he says, for year yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions. Now he doesn't talk about any other issues there. Initially, he's not talking about what I'm going to say, carnal issues like the lust of the flesh or, or, or murder or blasphemy. He's just saying here there's these people that sadly are still babes. And the reason why they're babes is because this, the sense of carnality is because that there's envying, there's strife and there's divisions among people. God's people. And so we ask the question very simply, how are we doing? How is our spiritual health? And then he talks about the third group of people. And Paul calls them spiritual. In fact, in Galatians he says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thy also be tempted. And so whether whatever group of people that you might this morning identify with, but one group, one of those groups we shall identify with. We shall either be identified with those who are out of Christ, we shall either be identified with those who are babes in Christ, those who have only come to save in faith in Christ Jesus, and we are growing. We are either identified with those who have been on the road, but sadly we haven't really matured. Or else we are those that Paul says that are spiritual. Uh, but the reality is if we associate ourselves with those that are spiritual, one thing is for sure, those of us who, do, who, who, who feel ourselves in that class of people, the one mark that ought to really identify or mark out our lives is that of humility. Because we have nothing, we're under gloat or boasting. John Phillips says that concerns this message of brethren, or those that are brothers in Christ, in all matters except the surrender of com or compromise of some vital doctrine, Paul was the most reconcilable of men. Even, uh, even then was he courteous. Whatever else he may be or might not be in the family of God, one thing is for sure and basic. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. He said mutual love, respect and assistance are the thought behind the word brethren. He says very simply. Whenever he talks in Galatians 6, brethren, if any man be overcome by a fault, we have such, we have much in common because that we are brothers. And so the reality is this morning, whenever we see someone who has fallen, we remember, and if they are Christ, the reality is that we are indeed to not only to help such serve, but Paul says to restore such a one, uh, those that are uh, with fault endeavour to try and get them back on track, but we are also to remember that they are our brother and sister in the Lord, and, and that we need to give them whatever help we can. 
Three little, two little thoughts I'm going to leave with you this morning concerning this pathway of spiritual health. What does it involve? Number one, it involves self-examination. Some of us are not very good at self-examination. In fact, some of us have, have mastered the art of being good at examining others rather than examining ourselves. We're very good at pointing out other people's faults, other people's failures. And sometimes what we do need is we need just someone alongside of us, maybe even our wife or spouse, whether it be a wife or a husband, just to say, now just remember now, you're not right this time. You're not right. Many times my wife has told me I am not right. And that's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. But what it does involve, this pathway of spiritual health, involves self-examination. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he said, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. And the reason the Apostle Paul, and the reason why the Apostle Paul challenged those in Corinth was because some of them had been deceived. There was plenty of talk about the word, but little living according to the word. What do we need to examine ourselves for? Two things, number one, we need to make sure that we're in the family. And number two, we need to take, we need to remember that we need to be sustained by the fellowship. Or by fellowship. Number one, we need to be sure we're in the family. What is it, what is it, what is it that confirms us that we are in the family of God? Well, not only is there the knowing, there's the repenting, there's the accepting, there's the witnessing, there's the abiding, uh, and then there's the obeying. What is it that I know? I know that I have sinned. That's what it is to be in the family. Well, it's not only that, because there's far more to it. That's the start of the journey, whereby I realize that I have broken God's law. Number two, there's the repenting, whereby the scripture says that God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Not some men, but all men. So no one's excluded. There's the accepting, whereby the scripture says that what, what must I do to save? And then the answer comes, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So there's the believing. Then there's the witnessing. And I don't, I, I'm not just witnessing with your mouth. But there's the witnessing of the Spirit, because when we call upon Christ, the Bible says that the Spirit bears witness with our Spirit, that we are the children of God. But then there's also in the next chapter, in the Acts of the Apostles, says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart that God will raise thee from the dead, thou shalt receive. So there's the witnessing on two parts, there's the witnessing of God's Spirit with my Spirit, and there's the witnessing of the mouth that Christ is mine. But then there's more than that because there's also the abiding because the scripture said if a man abide not me he's cast forth like a branch of the weather. So it talks about there in John's gospel and in John's, in John's gospel how the, the importance of abiding in Christ. Then also I'm going to say there's the obeying whereby something whosoever heareth these things of mine and doeth them I will liken among the wise man. There's this sense whereby I am doing what God's word is teaching me. As I sit in church on Sunday morning, as I listen to the pastor preaching week after week after week, it's not merely just to give me a, an educational mind to help me be better learner than my brain, that I might know better here, but that I might do better here, that I might follow in God's ways in my life, in my walking, and also in my living. But I'm going to also say that there's also the surrendering, because surrendering is not just something that, that deals with those who are serving God, whether it be those who have stepped out in the full-time service, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a missionary, or whether it's some other individual who's going what we call full-time Christian workers. The reality is every one of us are called to surrender. 
Every one of us are asked of God to give our lives to God and say, look, here's my life, Lord, and if you can use it, Lord, I want you to use it just where God has placed us. Just where God has placed us. Surrender to you may not mean you going to some other, some other country or some other world or giving up your present occupation. It may just be where surrender. You just live your life where God has placed you and surrender to Him. And say, look, Lord, if this is where you want me to serve you, help me to serve you here with all my might and with all my strength. I'm going to say, not only does it mean that we need to examine ourselves to see that we in the family, but we need also to examine ourselves to see that we are sustained by fellowship. Because no man is an island. You cannot survive on your own. And dare I say, I am maybe one of the most, uh, maybe one who I'm very much, I'm not a big fan of, Forgive me for those of you who are sitting at home this morning. I know they're those that be at home because genuine reason they cannot be in the house of God because that they're maybe confined, some are confined to beds and others have ailments that cannot bring them into the house of God. But we are living in a generation today where people think that they can be sustained by just simply sitting at home and maybe they say just, and, and there's no genuine reason and why they're not among God's people. We need to be among one another. The Bible says that we're not to neglect the assignment of ourselves together. That is the exhortation from God's word. And for many, sadly, I'm not by any means of the plan for those of you dear folk at home this morning for genuine reasons. It's not for you to, but I'm saying for many people, they've used, some have used COVID as a reason, a great excuse, why not to get among God's people? And the reality is, folks, we need to be among one another. We need fellowship. Cut a tree down from its roots and it will die. Remove a flower from water and it will wither. Take a coal from the fire and it will only smoke for a while and then lose its skull. But one thing is sure, we do know that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. But we need one another. That's what we need. That's what the family of God is all about. We cannot go out on our own and just think, well, I can, I can, I can, I can survive the very best We just... By just tapping in online, but not having that censure by, I am among the family of God. The reason self-examination is so important within our lives as believers is because we can so easily become slack, so easily become weary, so easily become lukewarm in our love for Christ and towards His commands. The word is ever dazzling us, the flesh is ever driving us down, and the devil is always in the background doing his utmost to distract us from, and then as the cheat to distract us, and then we let the Lord down, and then as the cheat to condemn us. What we need is to raise up above the flesh and the old devil and spend quality time with our God, and in those moments the Spirit of God will give us an accurate diagnosis of the true condition of our heart. That's what we need, folks. It's what I need. But you know, whenever the scripture says in Hebrews 10 that we're not to forsake the sending of ourselves together, there are only two occasions in scripture from the, where the original word for assembling yourselves is translated gathering together. There's only two times in scripture where the Bible talks about gathering people together. One is Hebrews 10 and 25, when Paul said, or when the writer of Hebrews says, not forsaking the assembling or the gathering of yourselves together. As the manner of some is, he says, but exhorting one another, as you see today come. So, in the writer of the Hebrews day, it was a common thing long before there was the internet, long before there was social media, 
people had become accustomed to not meeting together. And so this exhortation was given to say, look, listen, it's, it's not enough to say you're in the family and then never come near the house of God. That's not sufficient. That doesn't cut it anymore. Now we're talking long before the internet. We're talking long before technology. We're talking here first generation, maybe first, second generation believers. And, they, and the writer of the English saw the, the, the vital, crucial reality of how much we need each other within the family. The only other occasion where you find this word gathering together is actually mentioned concerning the coming of Christ whenever the Lord himself in 2 Thessalonians 2 when it talks about we being caught up together with him in the clouds and the air and so shall we be with the Lord. That's the only two occasions. Now, you and I, if you're truly born of the Spirit of God, you and I are looking forward to that day when Christ comes to rapture his church and whereby we are caught up together with him in the air. If I was to ask you this morning, do you want to be missing from that caught up together? You say, indeed, I do not. I want to be with that group. I want to be with the family. On there that day. Well, if that's the case, then my dear friends, why do we not want to be with the family today? Why do we not want to be with them today? The reality is, folks, that we need to be sustained by fellowship. And we need to be maintained. And it helps, her as we, it helps us to grow as iron sharpens iron. I'm going to say to you secondly today, uh, this pathway of spiritual health not only involves self-examination, but it is a road that instructs us and inspires us to live in the light. It's always been the case, and always will be the case, that for a man or woman to enjoy spiritual health and to grow spiritually, they must live in the light and not dwell in darkness. And sadly, when we do dare participate in the acts of darkness, whether it be pride or jealousy or lust or envy, or bitterness or strife, and sadly it hinders us along the route. It hinders us along the route. John writes of this subject and, and, and the verses that we read together in John 3 in the third epistle or in the third epistle of John. And he talks very much, he said he says in verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. He says, This brings great joy to my heart. I wonder what is it that really fills your heart today? What is it that really fills your heart? Maybe it's, dare I say, you get a letter in from the bank manager to say that you put a wee lot of pound away as a wee bit of an investment, and lo and behold, it has prospered greatly. Man, you're smiling from my ear and ear. Boys, that, that was a good move. That was a good move. Brought great joy to your heart. Maybe you're a farmer this morning and you have an opportunity to. To sell a little land, and which is a very rare thing for farmers to do, very very rare. It's like you know, it's like hen's teeth for a farmer to sell a little land. But dare I say, somebody comes along and says, "I only want to buy an acre off you. I'm going to give you a million pound." Well, now you're a brave, brave farmer to turn down a million pound for a, a one acre of land. But if you accept that you're going to be, it's going to bring great joy. You're and I'm a happy man today. I'm a happy man, and I know my wife's going to be a happy woman. And great joy. But these things are merely only temporal. They're going to pass away. 
John says, the thing that brings greatest joy to me, says the writer John in his wee epistle here. This is the thing that brings greatest joy to me, is that these children, and though he, he calls them my children, they're not his physical children, maybe from a spiritual sense he's maybe seen pointed some of them to the Lord, maybe some of them he's soon seen growing spiritually, maturing spiritually. He says, the thing that brings the greatest joy to my heart is to see that my children walk in truth. So as I observed them from a distance, as I walked alongside them through their darkest moments and through their joyful days, the fact is that these folk want to walk in truth. They want to walk in truth. And that's what brings great joy to my heart. Folks, when you have an intimate relationship with someone you, it, it is because that special bond which is between two parties. It's like, you know, whenever you go to the north coast there, you go to the port, we down there, and you can always see those that are married for about 15, 20, 30 years, and you can always tell those that are not yet married, because those that are not yet married are still looking at each other's eyes, and they nearly walk on the lamppost quicker than they will walk around it, because they're, they're so distracted by the person that they're in love with. Then you can always tell those that are married for donkey's years because she's usually walking with 40 or else he's either walking three or four steps in front of her. And they're not really, uh, I mean, they're not, you, you can tell they've been around each other for a long time. It's not that they're falling out of love each other, but they're not just head over heels, you say. Not the, the young couple that's fascinated with each other, they're focusing on each other constantly. Well, I'm going to say something to you. Paul or John had this desire, this, this relationship which is intimate, and it's not that which, whenever you talk about this intimate relationship, it's not that which is between male and female, or husband, wife, or brother and sister, or father and daughter. It's this relationship that can be in between the, the Creator and His Creator. This relationship you and I can have, that which is intimate. That which brings great joy to the heart of God. Right? That you and I can bring joy to God's heart. You may say to yourself, you're an honest, as I would say, I have said to myself, as I have said to myself and said to the Lord many times, said Lord, how many times, Lord, am I going to feel you? How many times is it going, what's it going to take before I learn from my mistakes? No matter how much grace and mercy you've shown me, Lord, why am I such a slow learner? Maybe you're not like me. You make the poles ahead of me. You make the strides ahead of me. You make the miles ahead of me in the journey, as we're in the spiritual sense. And that's, that's absolutely fine. It's no problem. But the reality is, folks, that if I want to bring joy to the heart of God, it's simple. I have to walk in truth. And if I don't walk in truth, then I don't bring joy to the heart of God the way I should do. And the way I could do in my own personal living. It's an intimate, it's a relationship with intimate. I'm going to say also, there's, there's a reputation that is inspiring. Because John says also, he says, for I rejoice greatly. So not only does he, there's no greater joy than to hear him walking in truth. But then he says, I rejoice greatly, verse 3, when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in me, even as thou walkest in the truth. So, he's saying that now there's a reputation about you that even as the brethren have watched on, 
And then as they've come and talked to me, he said, I've rejoiced greatly that even they see that you're walking in the truth. They see you walking in the truth. Folks, there's nothing surely more inspiring to hear and to see a child of God who walks in the truth. Now, what reputation might not make, uh, this reputation uh, to, is to be spoken about us. One that speaks of us standing up for the truth. One that shows that we are walking in the truth. One that identifies that we are those are standing out for the truth. That's right. Whenever Paul spoke to the believers in Rome, when he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but he's talked about in the early chapter, early part of chapter one, he says, He says, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. He says, No matter where I travel, people talk about these men of faith, a woman of faith, that are living in Rome. That your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. A reputation that is inspiring. We ask ourselves this morning, what is our reputation like? Does it inspire? Or does it discourage? It's very personal, man. I think that's one of the things with John's epistle, that well, these the these epistles of John's, he, we believe he was the, the beloved disciple, the disciple who had his head of the Father's breast, of the Savior's breast. There was this sense whereby he would be rich out of a, a real compassion of love and charity. Because he knows what it's like to be close to Christ. He knows what that happened to him And he longs that those who follow him or listen to his words may experience that same intimacy in their walk with God. It's not just some aloof figure or God up on that, but that they may know him intimately. They may listen to his voice, tune their ear and to hear him, and follow his ways. I want to say to you thirdly, there's a regard that is in fact, and a, a regard that isn't infectious, because he said there, he says, Beloved, verse 5 and 6, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers which have borne witness of thy charity or of thy love before the church. So he says, Not a do I rejoice in your love and your way you walk in truth? Not only do those who look on the brethren see your, your walk in truth, but also will say to you, uh, he said these words, he said, there's this, there's this regard, there's in fact, whereby this regard you have for those around you, and it's a regard, that regard or that sense whereby there's a, there's a compassion, there's a care, there's a, there's a charity toward those around them. Folks, surely should his love that he has placed in our hearts and we claim to know personally, should that love not be infectious in our lives? My wife works in the school, which are anonymous, but not to them, it's not that it's top secret. But there are times that some of the children and they'll come down with we types of be chicken pox or something else. It's like all children. And before you know it, they're, 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 it's all stress. It's not the child's fault. It's just that's just the way these things work. And if your child doesn't have chicken pox and it comes in contact with the child and goes, before you know it, there's definitely a possibility your child gets it. But if we say that we have the love of God in our hearts, 
And that love is not infectious. People don't see that love. Then we ask ourselves, do people really see God's love about us? Listen to what Paul writes in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Right? So we're speaking an unknown tongue. Whenever I lived in the southwest of England, it was the whole thing that if you were filled with the Spirit, you could speak in tongues. Which is the biggest word nonsense, but we're not going down that route this morning. But says Paul, if you could speak with the tongues of uh, speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not love, he said, you're nothing. He says, I am, uh, I am become as a sounding brass or or as a tinkling symbol, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith that I can remove mountains, he says what? Have not love. He says, I am nothing. Let me ask you this morning, where is your love? And what is your what is your love like? Dare I say, folks, what is our love like? First of all, uh, for those within the family. John says in John 13, he says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. What? If ye have loved one for another. Sometimes there are those within the family are not easy loved. But that does not mean we are not to love them. The badge, says one preacher, the badge of true discipleship is not in our doctrinal statements or in the types of music that we prefer, not in the rituals or ordinances that we cherish, or in our soul-winning soul winning zeal or faithfulness to the churches of our choice, but in our love for those who love the Lord. And that's a challenge, folks. Because there are people who have wronged me. And I don't find them easy to like. Let alone love. But the word exhorts me. And no matter what, despite what they might have done on me. Or to me. Or to my wife for that matter. The word exhorts me. If they are in the family. I am to love them. God's standard, folks, uh, the benchmark is extremely tall, extremely high. And I realize that many of them say, Lord, I'm struggling to reach your benchmark. But you're exhorting me, this is the standard that I'm to aim for. Folks, should should the love, should the Father not see our love? Because the Bible says that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. With every bit of our being, we are to love God. But do we? Folks, I'm going to say to you something. Should the lost not see our love? Should the lost not see our love? When those around us who are without Christ, 
Should they not see something of the love of Christ on I just want to tell you a quick story. I know it's five past one, but I'm sure you'll forgive me for a couple of minutes. I was traveling home from meeting one night, and uh, it's down Craigavon, put it down here, it's coming down the M1, and I seen this car at the same loop of flat tire. It was the cars we were coming home, I can't know where, where we're coming home from. Some even got out of the pulled the car in, and it was a woman on her own. Anyways, it was still daylight. And uh, I went over, I was in the side of the M1 there just before the lock all turn off. And uh, I went over to the door and I wrapped her over and she put the window down, which I don't know what she expected me to do through the window, it was only about two inches down. She must have thought I was going to reach for her, but oh, she was nervous. Do you blame her? Uh, but anyway, she said, What's wrong? She said, I'm a flat tire. I said, Well, what's wrong? You have to be able to fix it. Uh, she says, uh, Oh, she says, uh, I've got a spare, but I don't know how to, and my battery's gone dead, and my, bat, my phone battery's gone flat, and I'm hoping my husband will come and get me. I says, where does he live? He lives over the other side of the border. Well, how's he going to know? Well, if he don't come home tonight, he'll hopefully come looking for me tomorrow. I says, you mean tell me you're going to sit the side of them one all night? I can just sit here all night. I says, catch a trip of yourself, get out of that car. Uh, we'll open the bonnet, so we've got the boot open, then we've got the, oh, we didn't tell you, she was a bit rough for the wear. She was somewhere to Hendu over in Scotland, and, uh, and boy, she was rough looking. I'm telling you, she mustn't have slept much. She didn't have much paint on her. But boys, I'm telling you, that she was suffering the consequences of a bad weekend. She said this to me, she says, so I would be anxious. Why would you stop at the side of the road? Why would you stop at the side of the road? Well, I said, well, the one she, if it was my wife was the side of the road, and I wasn't here, and someone would stop and do a good turn and try and help her change the tire, I would be grateful. But they are, not only am I doing just because I would like to see you left here all night, but I'm doing it because I believe that it's, it's my Christian duty. Because the Bible tells me that I'm to do good unto all men, but especially unto those with household of faith. He says, you'll not believe this, but whenever I was flying to Edinburgh for a hymn weekend, I sat beside a man, he said he was a minister. And he told me something about the love of God. Now, we put the tire in the car, went back to the car, the car's going to meet track and handed it to her. I haven't a clue who she is, I don't know if she's home safely, I know nothing about her, but all I know is that we got the wheel on and sat down the wee gospel track. But for all we know, folks, it might just be a link in the chain in years to come. And what did it cost me? 20 minutes of inconvenience at the side of the motorway and got my hands dirty. So that we may show the love of Christ to those who don't know Christ, don't know him. A man called Jehovah says we are shaped and fashioned by what we love. A man called Richard Branson said it is, it is possible to give without loving, but it is impossible to love without giving. It is impossible to love without giving. Tell me this morning. What is the thermostat of love like in your heart today? What is the thermostat of love like in your heart today? Is it like that of the lay of the sea in church where you're somewhat either hot or cold? And if that be the case, my dear friend, and I'm going to simply say that you just need to get time alone with God. You say, Lord, I need you to meet with me. 